0: You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation podcast network brought to you by Interstate Batteries. Interstate Batteries has been a proud
1: supporter of the Sportsman's Nation since day one. So if you're looking for any type of batteries, whether it's for your truck, your car, your trail cameras, your rangefinder, stop into a local Interstate Batteries retail location. There are thousands upon thousands of them all over the United States. Talk with a battery specialist and get the batteries that you need to go on with your life interstate batteries outrageously dependable this is the average conservationist podcast brought to you in partner with two percent for conservation two percent for conservation's mission is to create an alliance of businesses and individuals that ensure the future of hunting and angling by committing their time and dollars to fish and wildlife one percent of your time plus one percent of your money equals two percent for conservation contractors coffee roasters and even piano repair companies have earned two percent certification and stand out as leaders in their communities for doing so businesses that are committed to conservation deserve your business when you shop learn more about two percent for conservation at fish and wildlife.org that's fish and (laughs) wildlife.org Greetings, fellow outdoorsmen and outdoorswomen. Welcome to another episode of the Average Conservationist Podcast. I'm your host, Marcus Ewing, and this is episode 27. Uh, Today on the podcast, I am joined by Naomi Weeks. Uh, Naomi is the director of the Wild Sheep Society in British Columbia, um, along with a committee member for 2% for Conservation. Um, It was was a very interesting conversation with Naomi to hear about kind of the differences, um, in how money is raised, uh, and the way conservation looks, um, in British Columbia, as opposed to here in the States. Um, we get to, to talk about how Naomi ended up, uh, in the position that she was in, um, or excuse me, the position that she's in now, um, as the director of the Wild Sheep Society and how that kind of all came to fruition. Um, and really, the the more Naomi and I got to speaking um, throughout the course of this podcast, the more you could hear just this passion and this love that she has for the outdoors. And, um, you know, she talks about how fortunate she is to be able to share that with uh, with her kids and her family. And, you know, it's, it's people like Naomi who, you know, give up so much of their time um, for conservation that uh, I'm really excited and I'm glad that we're able to have on the podcast so that you guys can hear, um, you know, all the great things that, that not only she, but you know, all the other guests are doing as well. Um, fun conversation. Um, give it a listen and I hope you enjoy. All right. On the line with me today, I have the director of wild sheep society of British Columbia and 2% committee member, Naomi Weeks. Naomi, how are you today?
0: I'm great. Thank you very much. And thanks for having me on. Yeah,
1: of of course. Of course. Um, I know we talked a few minutes here before we, we started recording and we've, uh, we've literally been exchanging emails since May about trying to set up a time and, um, I'm glad that we're actually able to get our schedules to align and and jump on the podcast here.
0: Yes, me too. It's, it's been a while. my apologies on my end.
1: No, especially with the craziness of this year and just life in general. Um, and the time difference that you and I are on being, you know, you being out there in British Columbia can be a little bit difficult. So, no, I'm glad that we're we're here now.
0: Perfect. Yeah, me too. Thank you.
1: So, Naomi, I kind of want to go all the way back to the beginning here and tell me about like your first real outdoor experience or maybe it's a memory that you have of what really kind of sparked your, your love and passion for the outdoors
0: um well i grew up in a hunting family um both my parents hunted uh mainly my dad um so my earliest memories are you know my dad coming back from his hunting trips and all of us kids i'm i'm one of four getting super excited to see when he pulled into the driveway uh, this is a long time ago, you know, back in the day when he would roll in with the animal still whole on the front of the truck or on the roof of the camper. And that would be my earliest memory of, of hunting and with my dad or hunting experience. Um, like, and then as we got older, my parents uh, would take us out with them on their trips, um, mainly. Fishing, So we got to fish a lot with my parents and um, yeah, I think those would be my earliest experiences is watching my dad come home with, with the game on the truck and then hanging out in the carport or the garage with him and his buddies as they were processing processing the animals. That's yeah. Me.
1: yeah, no, that's, that's really cool to hear because I know that myself growing up, I had a lot of those same experiences. So where I grew up, it was a, it was a small town and it was fairly rural. Um, so like my dad would would go hunting like after work, you know, he would hunt the evening for you know two or three hours after he got off of work. And I remember like hearing the garage door open and come running out into you know um, like the the dining room, the kitchen area where you know where our garage came in, and being like, "Did you get anything? Did you get anything?" Yeah, more often than not, it was nope. <clears throat> well, did you see anything? Yeah. Nope. You know, I, I got a lot of that. But yeah, that excitement um for, for them coming home and being and being able to see, you know, if they if they got something or not. Um I feel like that's a um a memory and, and a first experience that a lot of us, you know, really had uh with the outdoors. Yeah. So at what age was it when you started, you know, participating and going out hunting? Uh I know it, it sounded like you, you started fishing at a at a fairly young age, you know, with the family, but how old were you when you started actually going out hunting?
0: So I would say, as a family, we would oh go out um, probably while I was still in elementary school, we would go out. um we weren't actually hunting as more as like tagging along with my parents, yeah um, and yeah, so that would be. Yeah, probably grade you know, 6 7, I guess we were we were going out and I'm the oldest. So, okay. you know, I have a sister um that's quite uh, quite a bit younger. So, it was difficult for all of us to always to to get out, but yeah, I would say in grade school I I was going out with them. Um yeah. But again, fishing was probably the easier one for us to all get out. It was it was closer for us to go hunting here my parents we would have to go probably you know four hours away three and a half four hours so it was something we definitely did on a weekend yeah um, and not like an everyday like as you were saying like after work sort of thing
1: yeah uh, real quick i love how you said grade six because i i know a lot of people from canada uh like that i met in college and and and, and stuff like that and we 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 call, we say sixth grade, right? So then, like oh. when when we, when when someone <laughs> from from Canada, uh, they say grade six. It always kind of brings me back to you know my initial um, interactions with people from Canada, and they're like, "Oh yeah, I'm, you know, grade thirteen or something." I'm like, what are you talking about, grade thirteen? Right? So it was yeah. Yeah, that that makes me laugh.
0: I don't even know what grade thirteen is.
1: So, without getting too much of a sidebar here. Um, some people that I knew in college, they had, it was like a, a one year, like after graduation type thing that they would go to for a year before they went to, to college or university.
0: Oh, okay.
1: Yeah. Maybe that's, and that was in Ontario. So maybe that's just specific to there and not
0: British Columbia.
1: So, okay. (laughs) So now you said, uh, so in British Columbia there now you're, are you born and raised in the area where you're at now?
0: Um, yeah, yeah, relatively. Yeah. Okay. From the Lower Mainland.
1: Okay. Yeah. Now, as I, I kind of mentioned in the uh, the intro, there um, you are a one of the directors for um, the uh, Wild Sheep Society there in British Columbia. So Correct. tell me about that and what uh, what that entail uh, what that job entails and and kind of what that looks like.
0: Yeah. So as you mentioned, I am on the board of directors for the Wild Sheep Society of BC. Um, I am in my Um, second term. So I've been on the board now for going into my third year Um, and it's a fantastic board of um, people who are incredibly passionate about what we do um, for sheep habitat, um, the protection of wild sheep in our province. Um, And so what we do is we come together and we, uh, you know, through collective efforts, we... um, as a board, uh, look at different projects and, uh, habitat enhancement work that we can, um, fund, uh, for the protection of sheep in this province.
1: So now is this, is this your full-time job? Uh, no,
0: this is not a job. This is a volunteer position.
1: Okay. Okay. Yeah. So, so let me ask why sheep? Um, like what, what is it about, um, sheep that, that draws you in that makes you really want to get involved?
0: So that's a really good question in the sense that I, well, I didn't set out seeing myself Mm -hmm. in this position. Um, So back in 2017, I met uh, Kevin Hurley from the Chief Foundation. He was the keynote speaker at um, our annual convention in Kamloops, BC. And I was up there uh, with my husband and some friends and we were talking with him and I mentioned that I had domestic sheep. I have a small hobby farm, okay. so I have a few head of sheep and uh, domestic or I and llamas as well. So I had mentioned that I had the domestic sheep, and he uh, had said, "Hey, are you familiar with Movi?" and we started talking about movi and from there, we just you know got on this great conversation about domestic sheep and um you know. Movi, the impact they could have on the landscape and um you know our llamas and and how you guys were just starting to have this surge of people using llamas for pack animals Mm -hmm. and the possible implication of um you know disease from llamas onto the landscape and so through talking with him he invited me up to the thin horn summit uh in anchorage that same year, I think it was a couple months after, uh, and he's like, you know what, just get up there and you're gonna meet a lot of great people and you're gonna learn a lot of stuff about um Movi and um sheep, uh wild sheep health. And I thought, you know what? That sounds that sounds awesome. Like I am a total science nerd. So when he asked me to come up and I was like, absolutely, I'm definitely in. So I convinced my husband that I had to go to Anchorage (laughs) uh, and attend this, this summit. And I did, and I met some incredible people. And I have to say, um, everybody that I've met with the Wild Sheep foundation, you know, um, other organizations, uh, first nations, um, our biologists, Fantastic people! It's just such a great group to be part of, and everyone's really welcoming. And uh, yeah, I, I went up there and I learned a lot. And that's how it sort of happened for me, along with you know going down to Sheep Show in Reno and attending um, the working group down there and listening to what was going on—not just about thin horns, but big horns in my country, uh, in your country, uh, and all over—and and meeting again great like-minded people who you I know, mean,
1: just had so much information to share. Yeah, and that's and, and I've not had a chance to 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 participate in some of these, you know, really large, um, like sheep show, for example, like you mentioned, or or anything like that. But the general consensus that I get with speaking to people who who do have a chance to to participate in those is is exactly what you just said, right? It's it's a lot of great individuals, a lot of like minded individuals who are all after the same cause and, you know, mm-hmm. That's one of the great things about you know these organizations and the these events like Sheep Show and things like that is you get people from all walks of life right who have all these different experiences and bring something different to the table and offer a different perspective, um, but they all want the same thing to improve or better the habitat, the the herd, the species in general um, for sheep uh, in this particular case. So it's 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 cool to hear, especially in this case, you know all the way over in in British Columbia um, you know, the impact that something like that has had on you.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was, uh, it's been a great experience. So through, yeah, through that, I just, um, developed this incredible passion for, for the sheep and, and the landscape that they're on. And then I went on my first sheep hunt and that just absolutely solidified it for me. Like I was so let's,
1: Yeah, let's talk about that because I know for a lot of people, you know, here in the States, I mean, that's, that's a pretty coveted thing, you know, to be able to, to get a sheep tag and, and that's, you know, like one of those kind of once in a lifetime type hunts. So what is, what is the season? Well, first off, I guess, tell me about your experience with, with your, with your first sheep hunt and how that kind of, you know, further entrenched you into, you know, the wild sheep society and just your, your love and admiration for sheep.
0: Uh, well, here we have, I will say, first of all, that we have our um, season for sheep is the end of July, so August 1st until, um, I believe it's October 15th, Okay. Um, and we have a GOS, so a general open season for a lot of areas, and then where they're not general open season, we have an LEH or a limited entry hunt, so that you have to you um, put in... Or a special draw, I think similar to what you have, where you can hunt a specific uh, sheep, full curl or uh, mature, mm-hmm. uh, depending on what they've deemed in that area. And then, you know, there's only so many of those allocated per area. So mine, I went in for a general open season stone sheep hunt. Okay. Yeah, with um, two other women uh, in 2017. And we. I hadn't ever hunted with these women before. One of the women didn't even actually hunt. She just wanted to come and have an experience okay she just wanted to hike in with us and be part of what we were attempting to do, which was to get a sheep. Uh, so I went in with um yeah these two women and it was the most incredible experience besides having my children <laughs> <laughs> that I I've ever done, and it definitely left a, a mark on, on, on me that I, I have ever since craved to get back. Like I, I, I've gone every year since um, then. I haven't done Stone sheep. one year I did Bighorn, but the experience was, um, you know, you, I, I had moments when I was hiking up that mountain that I looked around, and saw how steep I was climbing, and remember thinking, why am I doing this? I have children at home, I, well, I, I'm so out of my league. Right. I've never done anything like this. I, I thought I had trained very hard for it, and got my butt, sorry, handed to me. Um, <laughs> and yeah, I had all these, these emotions going through me, and, and I had a very emotional experience on the, the mountain, um, and just thought, you know what? I need to suck it up, get through it, get up there. I'm not gonna cry about this, because look how incredibly lucky I am to be in this this situation. Um, I have so much support from my family, from my friends, um, that you know what, I've, I've gotta see this through and get to to where we needed to be to camp that night. So. Yeah, I, I hiked in there with these women. It was about six and a half, seven hour hike in. Wow. So not too bad. Um, got into the alpine, set up camp. And um, yeah, from there, we spent seven days hiking around that that complex, um, looking for legal rams. Didn't find any legal rams, but came across a lot of ewes and, and uh, lambs. A few other hunters, but other than that, we had that that landscape to ourselves for, for seven days. And it was incredible. It was, it was incredible. The conversations you have with people, the way you can sit for hours in silence and just connect with the, uh, the land around you and just, yeah, it's a, sorry if I'm rambling on, it's just, it was an incredible experience. And I I really want everyone to, when they go out into, um, the outdoors, whatever it is for them—elk, moose, um, sheep—to hopefully have a connection with the landscape, like I, I have when I have gone sheep hunting. It's it's something that I hope I can continue to do for many years because it's just I love it.
1: Yeah, you make a very very good point, and and I and, I, and it's something that I want to echo as well because that that connection that you get. When when you're in the outdoors, when you're hunting or or even fishing, for that matter, you know, any time that you're, you're spending outdoors and the connection that you get to make where you can, like you just said, you just sit in silence and you you become one with the surroundings, one with, you know, your environment. It's it's something that's unless you've experienced it to some degree, it's really hard to put in words. And, you know, obviously you and I can see each other right now. So I can kind of see, you know, the emotion that you, that you have just talking about it, right? Like you just, I can see you kind of going back to this place where you're, you know, sitting on this mountainside and you're just, you know, taking in this landscape and, and these views and just, it's, yeah, you really can't put it into words. So that, that's my way of trying to help you put it into words by not putting it into words. <laughs>
0: yeah. Thank you. I'm just, yeah, I'm, I use my hands a lot when I talk and I'm, I, you're right. I'm going back to that moment, and and uh, I have it every time. Time I go out into the mountains and and watch sheep. They're beautiful. You know, they're just in the most rugged, hardcore landscape. And this year, I had the opportunity to go on a late season walkabout um, into Stone Sheep again, and I saw some rams again. Nothing. I don't have a ram. I've never okay. shot a ram um, and watch them and just to sit there again for, you know, a couple hours, hours, days and watch them do their thing. Uh, I could do that, you know, forever. And it was interesting. We had snow a couple of the days I was in there. So that was my first time being on a late season hunt where it had snow. And, uh, I thought it just gave me more respect for for the environment that they're in and the harsh reality of, of, of winter and, and I wasn't even in the thick of winter it was right. you know dusting of snow and I was wow this is so intense compared to to going in in like you know August yeah when battling the bugs and the heat sometimes
1: yeah no yeah that's that that's a whole nother uh element uh to, to the hunt when you start throwing in yeah bugs and, and heat and things like that yeah so tell me what are some of the projects that um that you guys are working on there at the uh wild sheep society
0: And so uh, we do a wide range of um, projects. So at the moment we are um, in year, going into year three of a three year project um, that we're working on for the uh, herd health assessment for the Fraser River metapopulation of California bighorn sheep. So we just actually had um, a board meeting and we approved sixty-four thousand dollars for projects going forward for uh, twenty twenty-one, and part of that is that three-year um, commitment to uh, continuing that herd uh, health project on the Fraser. So, what's important about that herd uh, and all herds, but that herd specifically, is that um, you know sixty percent of. Canada's bighorn sheep came from that Fraser River uh, metapopulation back in the 1990s okay. um, since then that population has declined by about 50 percent so um, movie has been detected in that herd um, and so since you know the 1990s we're trying to get that herd back up on its feet, back up its numbers uh, where it, it used to be. I don't know that that can happen, but we're trying really hard. And so through Wild Sheep Society, funding from um, other groups, uh, I believe Wild Sheep Foundation, um, you know, and uh, our members, we are able to, and Flynn Rose, so that would be the um, government agency uh, with our biologists, and veterinarians, um, yeah, working to to try to uh, get a better assessment of what's going on with those herds um, on the Fraser River.
1: So you, had, you you touched on it earlier, and I didn't get a chance to to follow up and ask you, but you said you you used the term Movi, um, and I'm yeah. not intimately familiar with sheep, and um, you know what sounds like Movi is a disease that that maybe sheep contract. Is that correct?
0: Yeah. So Movi um, is an infection that. Um, wild uh, sheep and goats can get from domestic sheep and goats okay so what happens is a a, you know there will maybe be some domestic sheep on the landscape Uh, you know here it may be a small hobby farm in an area where there's bighorn sheep and that bighorn Herd ram, uh, you know, could come down and, you know, check out those domestic sheep. And if those domestic sheep are MOVI positive, uh, can then transfer that to the bighorns that then would go and infect the rest of the herd. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And so those usually trigger um, die offs. So, you know, domestic sheep and goats could be infected with MOVI and not show. Very much uh, outward symptoms. Sometimes they do. Uh, sometimes a lot of the the owners don't even know that their their sheep are movi. Okay. Positive. Yeah.
1: Now is that um, is that something where where is kind of the main culprit of that Fraser um, uh, the the herd in that area that it's that that's what's wiping it out is, is movi or is, is there other reasons or other um, factors that are contributing to, you know, I think you said like almost a 50% decline in population
0: there. Right. Uh, well, back when the herd started to decline, they didn't have the same testing, um, mechanisms that they do in place now to, to actually say that it was Movi. Mm -hmm. I think going back and and I can't speak to this, um, extensively in the sense that I haven't been on the ground for this project. I, I do know from talking to, to the board and from the people who are working on the project, that yeah, it is believed that Moby um, is a main reason for this decline in population.
1: Okay, so now I, I noticed, um, I was looking on the Wild Sheep Society's um, website uh, earlier this morning, and um, I noticed. Is your husband involved with uh, the Wild Sheep Society as well?
0: Oh, yeah, my husband is actually. Uh, yes, he's been helping with, um, our, uh, constitution and policies. Okay. So that's what he helps you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yes.
1: I, I, noticed, uh, Weeks, What's another, another yes. Weeks name. Yeah. <laughs> in there. So,
0: yes. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And I yeah. noticed also within the, um, the society there that you also have a couple other roles. It looks like, um, with like, uh, some youth, uh, activities and things like that. Can you tell me about that?
0: Yeah. So I really got interested in, the youth component, um, because I have four children, so my children, um, you know, they they see all the work that I'm doing with the society. And they ask a lot of questions. My daughter, who's um, 15, almost 16, she's come out with me before and worked on some some projects. Um, and so I thought, you know what, this is such a great opportunity, I you know, to tap into what interests my kids to then maybe try to you know, encourage um, other children. Um, It's been a bit difficult with COVID. Yeah. Pre-COVID, we were able to do conventions and go to um, like outdoor shows or like, you know, a a local retail store and set up and be able to talk to people and kids. And, And last year I went into a school and did a presentation, but with this year with COVID, we're not able to do any of that. Yeah. So unfortunately, you know that sort of fall into the side. Um, so I've got to come up with something good for our virtual um, convention that we'll be doing this year. Because unfortunately, again, COVID's closed a lot down, so we're unable to meet with um, our members in person for for our annual convention. And so I'm going to try to come up with something really good for uh, for like a youth um, education session that maybe I can do via Zoom for
1: for that. Yeah, and that's that's great because well couple things one is i was going to ask you how how covid has really had an effect um on your organization there because i know here in the states that when covid really started to flare up or when everything really started to get shut down was right around the time of year when a lot of organizations are having their banquets right that's when they're doing a lot of their fundraising membership drives and things like that and trying to raise you know all their money for for the following year for for that year specifically so how is it um how have you guys been able to combat that or, or what kind of effect has that um, had on you guys there, whether it's raising funds or, you know, getting new members involved?
0: Well, you're right. Like We, we had to cancel our um, annual convention in March, actually, when everyone, like you said, started to, it was convention season and, and people were starting to, to shut things down because Moby was really starting to take a hold in the spring. Um, but you know what? Our membership stepped up. We have a fantastic uh, group of, of people on there. And we moved our um, auction online. So we tried to, to scramble and get that on to, we did it through Facebook. And our members, again, really stepped up and donated um, a lot uh, back there, their fees for uh, you know, instead of saying you know what, um, I'll take that refund for you know the convention that got canceled. A lot of members were like, hey, you know what, keep it. I would have spent it anyways. With money already gone. And then um, they also stepped up large when we we did the auctions online, so that was helpful. And we've held raffles um, throughout the year to try to make up. We hold them anyways, but we we ran a few extras. Uh, to try to make up for some of that. Uh, it's been unfortunate that a lot of the projects, we do the boots on the ground work, so we do an annual Expenses Bridge Bighorn Sheep Count, um, where we get a lot of people come out um, and uh, count some sheep, so we can help out the local um, biologists there, that's had to be postponed. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, even projects where you know we're doing some habitat work, like some fence removal or um, thinning of an area to create better sight lines. You know, we were able to do one of those in the late spring. Um, but other than that, it's been really, you know, COVID-friendly activities. It's it's hard. We've got to maintain our space and yeah. you know, we can't share meals and have our, like, barbecues that we used to at the end of stuff like that. So, yeah, it's been difficult. But again, um, you know, members have stepped up. And we're just... And we're, you know, we're just under a thousand members, but we, I think, do a fantastic job of raising funds for for sheep in this province.
1: Yeah. And that's, so when I think about um, certain conservation organizations, right, like I I tend to think of like numbers in like the, you know, 20,000, 30,000, 40,000 members. And, you know, that's probably getting into like the BHA, um, the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, you know, organizations that have been around for a long time and have a, a really big um, member base, but yeah, to be able to, to thrive, um, as, as a, as an organization that has around a thousand members, I mean, that really speaks to the character of, you know, the members that are, um, involved with, you know, if, if you can maintain a, a good budget and raise money awareness, you know, the, the boots on the ground activities and all that with, you know, a limited number of people and especially over the last, you know, seven months, a limited number of opportunities to, I mean, I think that's, that's great. And it speaks volumes to, to, um, to your members.
0: Yeah. We've got a, got a great group. Yeah. I mean, we have a membership drive going on right now. We're trying to, to get more people involved and yeah. Is fantastic. there
1: now, is there some place where, um, you know, anyone listening that they can go, uh, like a website or anything like that they can check out for this membership?
0: Yeah, so we are on um, Instagram, um, and we are also on Facebook, and then uh, as you mentioned, there's the website, so the Wild Sheep um, BC website, and you can just Google that, and you can find us uh, through, you should be able to find us through all the platforms.
1: Okay, great. Well, I you had mentioned, we were talking a little bit about it, um, with your involvement with the youth and, and getting them involved, and I a, kind of have a two-part question, uh, we'll say. Um, is like the family tradition of hunting. Is that as big and as popular as it is, uh, or in in Canada, uh, in in British Columbia, as it is in like the states here, where it's something that is like passed down from generation to generation, and it's a, it's a real family type gathering.
0: Hmm, that's a good question.
1: Now I, I know you said that you came from a hunting family, so my guess is that it was just something that was it was a natural thing for you to to be involved in hunting and the outdoors is that is that kind of how the culture is because I know like in Michigan here for example um you know we're we're right in the in the heart of whitetail deer season and and we're we're in the rut right now and starting on Sunday um our rifle our general rifle season opens up and that's just like this this huge thing we call it the orange army because people i mean they may hunt for like two days a year every year and it's november 15th november 16th like it's 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 just crazy i think we have one of the largest um wow. number of like rifle hunters um per, you know as far as the state goes like in the entire country so it's just this i mean like i said we call it the orange army and it's kind of this this joke that that we have or anyone from Michigan or certain states they just that's kind of how they know it by but it's a lot of it is like there's deer camp and it's just like this tradition thing where you know I started doing it when I was young with my dad and my grandpa and then you know hopefully when I get older you know my kids will want to do that with me and with you know with my father-in-law so is it is that kind of how the culture is um over there
0: Uh, interesting can I ask one quick question about that because I'm I'm, in my mind as you're describing it, I'm trying to imagine what it's like are there a lot of other people on the landscape with you
1: yes would you
0: see a lot of other hunters
1: so it depends Um, I'm fortunate enough to be able to hunt private land here in Michigan Um, a lot of people hunt public land and you will absolutely run into a lot of other hunters um, and you know, having to wear, you know, the blaze orange for, for safety reasons and everything like that. I mean, I recall times when I was, you know, probably in my late teens and maybe I hunted the morning and I was driving back home or before the evening, whatever the case may be, where you could drive if you were in certain areas and you could pick out orange dots in the woods. Wow. Yeah, it's There's so sure. many hunters. It's it's unbelievable. I, I can't even do it justice by trying to explain it to you. But there is a, a massive influx of people who... Wow. You know, like we have we have deer camp. Uh, I do it with my in-laws um, where they have uh, a cabin. That There's usually seven or eight of us that are there every year. And they have a couple pieces of property, so we kind of get spread out. But some of the guys that come, they hunt those two days a year, and that's it. And and, and they just go really for more of the, the camaraderie and just, oh. you know, to get out of the house. So um, there's a, a very large number of people who look at deer hunting the same way here at least in michigan
0: right and now are you is it one deer per person or are you allowed to like when you say they only go out for the two days is that their like whole season it's just the two days of
1: yeah so our our archery season starts um october 1st and Mm -hmm. runs through november 14th and then firearm season is november 15th through the end of the month um, and then there's a week of muzzleloader season, I believe. And then after that, it goes back to archery. Um, and I think you could probably hunt archery the whole time if you wanted to. Um, probably not nearly as effective when you have a bunch of other people with rifles in the woods. Um, yeah. But yeah, that's they'll, just, they'll spend those two days. They'll buy their tag. And we have a lot of different options for tags. So you can buy a combination tag, which is essentially um, you can shoot two bucks with it. Um, one is essentially like a restricted tag so it has to have at least four points on one side if it's your second deer your first one you can take whatever size you want assuming there's no antler restriction in the zone that you're hunting in or the unit that you're hunting in Um, and then again the second one has to have four points or more on one side Um, you can buy just a single um, buck tag so just one you know antler deer Um, but that combo tag that i mentioned if you use it during archery season um, you can shoot a doe with it if it's with archery equipment. So there's kind of a lot of different stipulations depending on where yeah. you're hunting or what type of, um, equipment. Um, but then there's also, you know, just doe tags that you can purchase as well. Um, and depending on your area, you can buy up to 10, um, if they're, oh, if they're, yeah, if they're available. So yeah, it's, there, huh. there's a lot of different options depending upon what you really want to do.
0: Wow. Yeah. It sounds like you have a lot of options. Yeah. Um, hmm. Well, you know it's hard i I can't speak to to everywhere because I think in the province because I think it's a bit it's different like I'm only about an hour and a half east of Vancouver which i I think the most of your listeners would know yes. uh, so I'm still I, i'm I'm not right in the heart of the city I, I'm out uh, you know I'm out in an area where i'm I'm on some property and you know we've got lakes out here, and I can actually bow on my property okay. until December, till December fifteenth. Yeah, I have coastal blacktail on my okay. property. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, um, I, I I don't. I would say I, I see a shift in in people really who never grew up hunting starting to hunt. That's that's what I see here in in. The south part of the province, a lot of um, people, men and women, in their mid twenties, early thirties, who are taking up the sport for the first time, um, who want to really get in touch with, I think, um, harvesting their own their own their food, knowing where it comes from, and getting out there and having the experience, like what I had talked about earlier, even if it's only a, a three-hour drive or it's heading out, you know, maybe an hour, um, hour and a half north of where I am and, and getting out there for, you know, a weekend and just getting away from from the city. I think that's what I see a lot of. Uh, I'm, you know, the only one in my family, Um so I have three siblings, two sisters and a brother, and no one else hunts. I'm the only person. Uh, I will say my husband grew up in a hunting family as well, so it really helped when him and I, him and I got together. So I'd moved away from hunting for, for quite a while when my parents uh, divorced. And then when I met my husband, he was right into it, and actually one of our really first big dates was we went goat hunting together. So <laughs> we were like, if we can go on a goat trip together and not want to, you know, wring each other's neck by the end of it.
1: Yeah, that's uh, that's jumping into the deep end when it comes yeah. to uh, relationships. Is You know, it's one thing to, uh, you know, go away for a weekend if you're going to like a bed and breakfast or you just go into a different city or something like that. But no, you're going to spend, you know, maybe a long weekend in the woods. You know, you're going to find out a lot about the other person real quick. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I recommend it. It just like weeds out everything right away. <laughs> just like, yeah, no, smelly. Yeah, that's okay. And, you know, grumpy and early mornings. Yeah, no, you're good. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. You really but, yeah, you so, Anyways, I kind of went off topic there. But um, so that's what I see. I, I see um, definitely there's families that, uh, you know, they, they hunted, their dad hunted, and, and they're passing it on to their children. But, um, what I see the most where I am would be a lot of people getting into the sport who've never hunted before. And I think that's fantastic.
1: Yeah, no, I, I completely agree with that. And part of me wonders how much, and I've, I've talked about this on a lot of other episodes is how much of a role social media plays in that, right? Because Mm -hmm. they, they just, they see a lot of, you know, the, the gripping grins of people having success. And, and I think it, I think that, that, that has a very positive effect to some degree where it, it, it piques people's interest, right? Like they're going, oh, you know, how can, how can I get involved with that? Or how do I get a chance to do that? And um, I think it, people realize pretty quick, it's a lot of work, um, you know, yes. especially to be successful. Um, depending you no know, matter no matter what the game is that you're chasing yeah. it, it it's it's very difficult to be successful and it takes a lot of time and knowledge and and understanding of the animal its surroundings the landscape you know the whole nine yards I mean you you know exactly what I'm talking about and for people to stick with it is is incredible right and for people to want to understand or or know exactly where their their food came from over the past you know five to seven years I've seen just such a, a big push for this, you know, organic, you know, filling, you know, meat in the freezer, um, kind of initi I don't even want to say initiative because that's not the right word, but just this that's you know, that's what people want to do. And it's funny to think that, you know, growing up, that was so much of the reason why people hunted, right? Was for food. You know, even yeah. as our earliest ancestors, I mean, they they had to hunt to survive. And yeah. then I think there was probably a time where it wasn't even so much about that. It was yeah, I don't even want to say like a, a time frame, but it was more about like the trophy, right? Like people just wanted to shoot the biggest elk or the biggest sheep or the biggest white tail or black tail or whatever it was, and mm-hmm. it's kind of gotten away from that. It's almost like there's this this changing of the guard in terms of you know who who is kind of leading the charge in the outdoors and, and conservation. So to mm-hmm. see new people getting involved is is like you said, it's it's tremendous, and and I love to see it. And any chance that I can get to to talk to someone about hunting or anything like that. I mean, I am, I am all for it. I'll, I'll talk your ear off.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I'm, I'm, I'm the same way. Like I like to talk to people who, or I find, um, particularly women will come up and talk to me about hunting because I think some women who've gone out with their husbands before or boyfriends, they've, they've said to me like, Oh, I can't believe you did that with just, you know, some other women or, or you did that, um, you know, with your daughter or, or whatever. And they will say, I could never do that. And my question is, well, you know, do you really think you could never do it? Or is it that you just don't want to do it? Because those are two different things. If if you want to do it, then let's have a conversation about how we can help make that happen for you. And if you don't want to do it, that's okay as well. And if you have any questions about um, why you don't want to do it, or how you you know, anything you want to ask me about why I do it, um, let's have that conversation. But I'm always open to having conversations with people who don't hunt uh, about why I do it. Or, you know, and I'm an open book. So if you want to ask me, like, anything about it, I'm I'm always happy to to talk to people and, yeah, let them know why I do it. Because why I do it is not the same as why someone else does it. And in my experience, you know, I, I go out and I want to be part of, those emotional experiences I have when I'm when I'm out there, and I understand that, you know, I, I cry probably every time I'm in the, <laughs> in the wash, and I do because I'm just so overcome by the 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 places I'm in, even if I'm just like, you know, in a beautiful, um, you know, sagebrush grasslands and, or I'm way up in, you know, the Alpine watching stone sheep. I'm so always overcome by where I am and what I'm doing and, and how thankful I am that I get to, to have these experiences that I hope when I talk to people, it comes across that, you know, I, I guess don't, don't judge it until you like have a conversation with someone about why they do it, what they get from it. And, and, um, Maybe if you can, you don't want to hunt, but you want to go out and just try to have that experience with someone. Maybe if you can team up with, with someone who goes out and you don't have to take a rifle. You can just like the the young lady who came with uh, me and my girlfriend, just come in and have an experience and, and you know, take away whatever you take away from it. But yeah, I don't know. I'm sorry. Again, I rambled on and I, yeah,
1: no, I, I, I was following you the whole time there and <laughs> you make a, a really good point, right? It's, It may not be for everyone, but, you know, give it a chance, whether it's asking questions to someone who, who is an experienced hunter or, or angler, or, you know, being able to actually go out and, you know, spend time with them while they're in the field. Um, I think, you know, from there you can actually, or, you know, anyone new to, to the outdoors can make a, a much better assessment and a much better judgment of, of how they really feel about hunting because, you know, so many times hunters Uh, They get kind of placed in this, you know, in this little bubble of, you know, we're just we're just killers, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's in my opinion, that's the furthest thing from the truth. I mean, you know, a a hunter on average has far more compassion um, and love for animals that they're hunting than someone who doesn't hunt. Right. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, to to be able to to share that with with someone else and kind of let them into you know, our our little world of, of being a hunter is is something that yeah I I try to you know share with someone as often as I can. I mean I I took my daughter out hunting uh, for the first time this year. She's three, so keep that in mind. So we we <laughs> went and sat in, we went and sat in a blind. Uh, yeah, we went and sat in a blind, and I had you know an iPad, I had snacks galore, I had everything, and my goal was like okay we're gonna go out if we can make it an hour and a half if we can okay. make it till dark I'll be super happy we made it 35 minutes snacks (laughs) ran out she was getting cold and she's like dad I don't see the deer I don't see the deer I'm like well you you got to be quiet we got to sit here and they'll come to us she's like but dad I'm really fast like I think I can catch him if we see him I was like let's go look for him so at that point I was like all right let's let's just head back to the house you know but it's it's a great experience and and those are the kind of things that while you know she may not remember it as she gets older it's it's uh, it's something that you long for as a parent and as an outdoorsman.
0: Yeah, a- uh, outdoors absolutely. Woman. absolutely. Yeah. I can, I can relate. I've been hunting with my boys, so we have an annual trip we do every year. She's, sorry, my boys and my daughter. Um, and so for the last, I'd say four years. So my youngest is eleven. I have eleven, twelve, and um, my daughter who came with us. She's fifteen. Uh, so. Uh, yeah, so the last four years, we've gone to the same place every single year. And we know there's deer there. My my oldest son has got a deer there and my husband. Uh, but the last four years, we've gone and nothing. Nothing out of this spot. We've seen um, lots of does, seen bucks. And usually when we go, it's uh, four point or better. Okay. Yeah, so, I don't know, do you guys do, do you count it as, like, one side, or do you count it as both? So, you're like, oh, it's an eight point because it's got four on both?
1: Yeah, that's how, oh, okay. the, I don't know if yes. that's just, like, a Midwest thing, because I hear a right. lot of, like, Western hunters, uh-huh. um, they'll say, like, a four point, and that's because it's got four on one side instead of an eight. Right. So, yeah, so. I, yeah,
0: four, four by three, Yeah, but legally, you can take the four because he's got the, four, you know, he counts as a four point, yes. Right. Yep. So, usually, when we go, it's four point or better, yeah. Um, but my one son, my twelve-year-old, drew a doe a tag okay. this year. So we went when he was allowed to shoot his doe, and so he's never shot anything before. Um, and we went in this year, and that. So we went in for five days, and that first day, we went in and he we found a, a doe for him, nice, healthy-sized doe, and he. Um, he Took that shot and he got his first deer, and it was an incredibly emotional moment, yeah. Um, for me, for him, and uh, and um, it was an experience that I'm I think he's still processing like a few weeks later. Uh, because I asked him, I'm like, oh, Do you think that you'll want to do that again? And I don't push my children, like, you, right. you know, you've experienced it, you've been out there, you know, four years in a row, we've Hiked around that landscape, you know, it like the back of our hand, and and nothing. And then so now, so one, they've learned how difficult it is to hunt. It's not like you go out and there's animals everywhere. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's very difficult. And and you know, four or five, sometimes six of us stomping around in the woods is is loud. And we try to be as quiet as we can. But I'm sure that's played into you know not being successful a few of those years. But anyways, um, so he's still processing it. But I was very happy to. Have had him have that experience and i'm not sure if he'll he'll do it again i think he will mm-hmm. he seems to really want it um and then the following day um i ended up getting a buck and he was there my two sons were there with me when i did that and so it was great for them i thought for them to see me harvest yeah absolutely as well and go through the process of breaking it down and and um yeah it was it was an experience that I'm glad they had, and they they were there with me as well, um, because I think it showed them it wasn't all about like this this joyous moment. It was we were incredibly thankful for the, the meat that we now have in our freezer, but it was also a moment to like sit and you know with this animal for a few moments before we got to work and, and to realize the the the. The, the magnitude
1: emotion. of yeah, yeah, what just what you. just yeah, took place, what yeah, just
0: happened, yeah, yeah. It was very interesting to to see. To yeah, see it's, that.
1: it's it's a heavy moment, and you know, it even
0: that's thank you, that's the word. Yeah, and I don't moment.
1: care how many animals you've been able to take. You know, anyone who's done this will tell you, and anyone who has a, you know a real respect for for the game that they're chasing will tell you that you know it's not something that that they like to do, you know, it, it's, it takes, it takes a lot to, to take the life of an animal and, you know, and it doesn't get easier no matter how many times you do it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and you're right. And I liked that a lot of the people that we've talked to, or he's, you know, he's shared his experience and, and a lot of people are saying, oh, you know, well, some of those fears that he had about taking his first animal, those people shared that those were the, their fears as well. And they're like, you know what, it does get a bit easier, you know, worrying about, you know, you don't want to do a bad shot and have right. the animal take off and not be able to find it. Those are all fears that all of us have, you know, all the time. No one wants to do that. Yes. So it was great to have this great group of people around him to say all those things that you were worried about and thinking about, well, we all have them. Yeah, That's right. yeah it,
1: it's very common and, and uh, yeah. it, it's, it's probably a good thing that he's feeling that way
0: yeah no it yeah it was good so
1: yeah so real quick Naomi, i mean not only uh obviously are you uh, on the board of directors for the wild sheep society there, but you also are a committee member for two percent for conservation, so tell me about how you got uh involved with uh two percent
0: so I had met i came down actually to the bozeman convention okay that um two percent was having uh I went down there and um hung out with uh, Corey Pearsall, who was working with Sika at the time, and he introduced me to... Well, I went down there um, on behalf of Wild Chief Society, um, and Corey was my um, contact okay. down there. So through him, I met Jared. We went for breakfast um, one morning at this great little restaurant, and I'm sorry, I can't remember the name, uh, um, in downtown Bozeman. And I met Jared, and we were talking about... what they were doing uh, you know some of the stresses he was having with the convention Um, but I really liked what he was saying and and where what 2% was doing and I thought you know I don't think we have anything like this in BC so um, you know if I can help do uh, you know do my part to get some uh, people and organizations Uh, businesses on board um that would be great because i know a lot of people want to spend their money on um, companies that are doing uh, and giving back to conservation efforts
1: yeah and that's that was one of the things so i think i first learned about two percent uh it's maybe been a couple years now or maybe just over a year um and then when i decided decided to start my company the average conservationist that was one of the first things that I wanted to do and and learn more about was becoming 2% certified. Because if I was going to be, you know, selling uh, merchandise that promoted um, hunting, fishing, anything like that, like I definitely wanted to make sure that money was going back to conservation organizations because, you know, that's what I love to do. And you're absolutely right that people want to support organizations that are giving back to conservation. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I mean, I, I look at, you know, there's there's a handful of companies that are, are so well known that are two percent certified if you look at like First Light, Sitka, Stone Glacier, you know, Seek Outside. You look at these these companies who are well known throughout the industry, who are putting their money where their mouth is in terms of you know giving back and, and understanding that the people using their their products are the people that are out in the field and, and giving back to conservation. So for them to yeah. do that and you know, even companies as as small as mine uh, or companies that are unrelated to the outdoor industry at all are giving, you know, at least 1% of their money back to con- conservation, excuse me, uh, is, is tremendous.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. And so I, I wanted to be, to be part of that. And so I asked Jared, how I could help. And, um, yeah, if I could be a committee member.
1: So. Yeah. And Jared's Jared's as good as they come and And he, he has a way with words, especially when it comes to his passion for, for conservation yeah. and just, you know, the getting things, whether, whatever it is, whatever the case or whatever the species or topic conservation related in the right direction. I mean, he's, he's, he's a very passionate individual and he's definitely the right one to, to lead the ship for 2%.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I have all the time in the world to listen to, to him with, with anything he has to say, his little podcasts or his, uh, or what he's doing on Instagram. Yeah, he, he's fantastic. Yeah. great guy. Yes. And I love the name of your company, the average conservationist and the podcast. I think that's, that's so great. It's oh, fantastic. Yeah. Like, well, a- thank you. It
1: was, uh, <laughs> it, like it's a mouthful and like, I've gotten really good at typing average conservationist" on my computer just yeah. because you type it so much, but it, it, I just felt like I was in a place where like, that was just like, I was just like a, an average outdoorsman or, you know, there's yeah. average outdoors women. Like I was just, I did it as much as I could. I really loved doing it. And I think that there's probably more people like that than people who are able to make a, you know, a career out of the outdoors Mm -hmm. and people like myself, um, were people who are doing a lot of the boots on the ground work, a lot of, you know, work within, you know, whatever the organization is. Um, and it's just something I kind of wanted to celebrate and, um, it's the, the feedback and and the support from, you know, whether it's listening to the podcast or, you know, buying some of the, the merchandise has been awesome and I've been. So fortunate to meet so many incredible people from from all walks of life that just all have a a common interest in the outdoors, and it's been uh, it's been a real blessing. Nice,
0: yeah. fantastic,
1: yeah. Great. Well, Naomi, I appreciate you taking some time to to sit down today. I'm glad we were finally able to and to hear about all the great work that that you're doing for the Wild Sheep Society there in British Columbia, and um, you know. Telling me about kind of how you were introduced to the outdoors and, and you know, really what the outdoors means to you. It was uh I really enjoyed the conversation.
0: Thank you. Yeah, I had a great time. It was nice. Also letting me uh ask you some crazy questions about your hunting down there. It's interesting. Um yeah, it's great. You don't have to wear orange up here.
1: Yeah, there's way too many people. There's I mean, even with people wearing orange, there's still accidents every year of people
0: really?
1: mistaking other people for a deer, which wow. I don't quite understand but
0: right. yeah, yeah interesting yeah no it was great thank you so much for um having me on i really appreciate it and uh yeah my apologies if i rambled on and <laughs> some of my stories i i get pretty um pretty uh passionate about my stories and i go on a bit much but thank you again so much it is fantastic and and uh yeah i wish the best for your company the average conservationist and the podcast it, it was great
1: Yeah, thank you. Well, uh, I wish you the best as well, and hopefully we can have you on again in the future.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much, Marcus. All right. Thanks a lot. Thanks.
1: All right. Well, big shout out to Naomi for hopping on the podcast today. Uh, I'd also like to thank our partners over at Stone Glacier. Be sure and check them out at StoneGlacier.com. I also like to thank the partners over at 2% for Conservation. And if you're interested in learning more, you can visit their website, fishandwildlife.org. And there you can see all the certified brands that have committed to conservation that you should support when you're shopping for your various gear or guiding services, um, really anything under the sun. Uh, I also encourage you guys to give 2% a follow on social media where they're going to post only positive content um, so you can enjoy some uh, very positive conservation um, content there. Uh, So again, if you'd like to learn more about 2% for Conservation, you can look for them online on their various social medias or at fishandwildlife.org. Thanks for joining me this week, guys. Hope you enjoyed the episode. Remember, stay safe out there and conservation starts with you.